Well, good morning again. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to come and preach the Word of God to you this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to the book of Luke chapter 16, and we will get there soon enough. Over the last several weeks, we've been, we have been preaching about a common theme about the, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as believers in Jesus Christ, those of us who've repented of our sins and trusted in the Savior. We talked about how the gift that we have been given by God's grace and our reception of it through our faith in His Son, Jesus, is an endless source of joy because that gift has overcome the greatest need that we could ever imagine, and that is our sin debt that we have before our Almighty Creator. And that gift of grace through His Son, Jesus, um, uh, solves the problem of our sin, and therefore it should be an eternal source of joy for us because it is a gift that does not deteriorate. The value will never depreciate. It will always be there, and you are promised an eternal home because of it. So therefore rejoice in the gift of your salvation. We also talked about that this it also brings about a... a um, Something that we should understand when it comes to those who have passed away as we went through First Thessalonians chapter 4, how we, talked that, how we talked about those who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ, that one day Jesus will bring with him those who have gone on before, and they will be resur- their bodies will be resurrected, and we too will be called up to meet them in the air where we will be with them, with Jesus forever and ever and ever. What a glorious day that will be when we step into eternity. And then, then, um, then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about John chapter 14 and how even though in, during troubling times, we shouldn't have troubled hearts. Christians should not have troubled hearts because we have an eternal promise that will come. He says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, it's for a reason. And the reason is, is I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you with me and bring you home. That where I am, there you will be also. Eternity is a glorious thing for the believer in Jesus Christ. It's going to be a great day whenever we step into eternity and see our Savior face to face together and to be with him forever. That's the reality of eternity. It is it is forever. But I'm going to switch gears this morning. We're switching gears to a different topic. Because eternity and the reality of heaven is a glorious thing, but there's also a reality of hell. There's a reality of hell. And the reality of heaven is that not everybody who dies goes there. And every funeral that you attend... The person whose funeral we, are, we may be attending is not always in a better place. They were met much better off here rather than waking their, or opening up their eyes in the torments of the flames of hell. Everybody does not go to a better place. But hell is not a popular topic of discussion. You know, many of us don't like to talk about it. There are those who simply refuse to believe that hell even exists. And there are churches who forbid their pastors to preach on the topic. And there are pastors who have actually lost their position as pastor because they have. You know, hell is an important topic of discussion. Maybe maybe better put, hell is an important topic of proclamation. Proclamation. 
is something that we should proclaim. And why is it important? Simply, simply put, Jesus preached about hell. And even if that's our only justification for proclaiming a warning about hell, that is enough. If Jesus preached it, we are to preach it. Part of the Great Commission is to do what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? All things that I have taught you. And one of those topics was a warning about hell. And we should proclaim a warning about hell. Jesus preached about hell more than anybody in the Bible. If it was important to him, then we should see the importance of it as well. And to be honest, I would do you a great disservice, and we would do a great disservice to the people of the world if we only spoke about heaven and never warned about the reality of hell. We have a duty and a responsibility to the world to tell them the truth about their sinful condition. A doctor has a duty and a responsibility to be honest with the person that is sitting in their office, even though it may be bad news. He needs to tell them about a disease and offer them a cure if there is one. We as believers in Jesus Christ and disciples and followers of Jesus, we have been commissioned with, it, with a task to evangelize the world, and we, with our duty and our responsibility to God, must deliver the message and warn people about their eternal place if they die without Jesus Christ. We have a moral responsibility and duty to Christ to do that and to teach them. We must tell them about hell, and we must give them the cure which is Jesus Christ. So it's very important that we do that because hell is a real place that some people will go. Actually, Jesus says that many will come to me in that day. Many, not some, not a few, not two, not three, but many will come to me in that day and I will have to declare to them, I never knew you. Turn from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's got to be the saddest words in all of the Bible to know that people will spend an eternity separated from Jesus Christ, their creator, in a place of torment and fire forever. So the reality of hell is what we will be talking about this morning. And in a very familiar passage in Luke chapter 16 we will, is where we will be. Now, if you, will, if you will be there with me in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19, there's some truths here that I want us to really pull out and us to really consider. And for the unbeliever here this morning, it is my prayer that you will hear the warning that is within this message and reach out to the Savior and confess your sins before him and repent and trust in the work that he did on the cross. And as a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I hope this will motivate you to warn the people and the lives around you, to warn them about this place and to hand them the cure in Jesus Christ and deliver the gospel message that brings about salvation. As we start in verse 19, what we find is there was a certain rich man who was clothed in fine, in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores." The first thing I want us to understand here, now when Jesus was giving this narrative, this historical narrative, is that this was not a parable. This was not a fictional story to bring about a spiritual truth. One, Jesus did not say it was a parable for one, and not in any other parables that Jesus taught did he use specific names in any of them. 
So this is, this is, a, real, this is a real common exegesis of this, of this verse here, but I want us to understand that this is, we're talking about real people in a real place. Jesus named Lazarus, he named, um, he, he named, um, he named Abraham, and the rich man is not just a rich man, but a certain rich man. So with these two facts alone, the fact, the language going in that a certain rich man and the fact that he uses names in this narrative, we need to approach this as if this was an actual historic event that actually took place someplace in time. We don't know when it took place, but we know that Jesus is illustrating to them and, and giving them a record of something that has happened in the past. Real people in real places. So whenever we go to talk about the reality of hell, we need to understand that it is about real people and a real place. It is serious business when we talk about the reality of hell. Because when we die, your eternity is set in stone and eternity is way too long to be wrong about it. Since this is a narrative between two contrasting people, so what can we find out about these people that are, that are mentioned here? The certain rich man, there's no record of a vicious, glaring, public, or vulgar, sinful lifestyle that he, was, that he was engaged in. We can't say that he was cruel. We can't say that he was an oppressor of the poor because there's no record that we can see here that he um, had Lazarus removed from his gate. But actually, he maybe allowed Lazarus to stay there but never really did anything to help him. That's what we can kind of draw from it. You know, he wasn't a tyrant, an oppressor, or necessarily a monstrous member of society. But what we do understand about him is, is that he fared sumptuously every day. He wore fancy clothes. He, he really flamboyantly flaunt, flaunted his wealth. He had a lot of money, and he wanted people to know that he had a lot of money. He was something that he really publicized about himself. Is that he, he was very secure, and he found a lot of security in flaunting his his wealth that he had. We, we see that he had a gate that surrounded his property. This showed that he either had a large home or a mansion. He was likely someone who was simply self-indulgent and also sought the pleasures of this world. He was someone who was complacent, hoarding, and allowing money to lie around his estate while the needs lied around him, even at his gate. And Lazarus, we see, he is the becker in this in this narrative. He's disabled, his body is full of sores, unable to work or earn, earn a living. He, most likely he was carried there to the rich man's gate by someone else, or else he desperately crawled and dragged himself there. Too weak at times to even shoo the dogs away to keep them from licking his sores. And he was a beggar. He was a beggar not by choice, but he was a beggar because of his handicapped. He had no friends or no family who was willing or even able to take care of him. And he just desired the crumbs that would fall from the rich man's table. Back in the day, they would use chunks of bread to clean their hands after their meal, and then they would discard them on the ground. Most likely, that's what, was, that's what Lazarus was hoping to get. Most likely, whenever they were thrown out onto the ground, he had to wrestle with the dogs to get his fair share. So we see two different contrasting people here, the certain rich man and this person, Lazarus. But in verse 22, though they did live two different lifestyles, one high up on the social ladder, very wealthy, very well taken care of, one who was a beggar, who was um, uh, unable to make a living, didn't have hardly anything, but begged for what he could get. But in verse 22, 
the playing field was leveled. How was it leveled? They both died. They both died. In verse 22, it says, so, so the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. We have two different people here, two different lifestyles, but yet they both died. They lived two drastically different lives. One was very wealthy, one was very well off, one was very sick, and one was a beggar. But whenever it comes to death, when it comes to that appointed time, it doesn't matter how much you have or how little you've got, when that day comes, there's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing. So something that levels everyone is that we will all face death one day or Jesus will come back. For death is no respecter of persons. Everyone who's lived in the past has died. And those who are still living will one day face death. It is a level playing field for everyone. So that is why this is a question that everyone needs to really consider. Remember the three questions that we talked about a couple weeks ago? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going when I die? Where am I going when I die is of the greatest importance because you will be dead longer than you are alive. Whenever you die, you will step into eternity. And we need to understand that that is of great importance. Where will you spend eternity? That is a question that we really need to ask. And Christianity gives an answer to that. Those questions are clearly answered by, by the Christian worldview. Where did I come from? I'm created in God's image. Why am I here? To know God and to make him known. Where am I going when I die? If I've trusted in Christ, then I will spend eternity with him. If I do not, then I will spend eternity without him. And C.S. Lewis says that Christianity is either of the greatest importance or of no importance at all. If you really think about that. It's of the greatest importance because it answers the question of where you will spend eternity. If Jesus Christ has truly risen from the dead, then Christianity is of the greatest importance. And the gospel message is the greatest message that we should proclaim because it answers the toughest question, where am I going when I die? And the truth that is found within the gospel will give you the ability to escape the clutches of death, hell, and the grave by putting your faith in the Savior. And it is of the greatest importance because this will make a difference in your eternity. If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, I'm going to tell you it's pointless. <laughs> Completely and totally pointless. You better live it up and enjoy the life that you have here and now because afterwards and when you die, we have no hope if Jesus Christ hasn't risen from the dead. If I wasn't thoroughly convinced that Jesus Christ is truly alive today and is at the right hand of the Father, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. We have a great risen Savior who's given us a message that should hold the utmost importance in our lives to proclaim it, to make the difference in the lives of those people around us. Because when we die, you will go to one of two different destinations, which is what we see next. We see in verse 22, it says, So it was that the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Two very different people. Both died, but they arrived at two different destinations. One comforted in Abraham's bosom, the other lifting his eyes, being in the torments 
of flames and seeing Lazarus and Abraham afar off. Now, I don't know the sequence of their deaths. It's possible they could have died at the same time. It's possible there's some time in between them. We would assume by the condition of Lazarus being sick, he probably could have died of infectious disease. He could have died of hunger and starvation. And um, the rich man having the means to sustain his life as long as he possibly could may have died, you know, years later. And plus, when he lifted his eyes, he already saw that, La that Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. So either they got there at the same time or Lazarus got there before him. But regardless, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because they both met their appointment with death. And they both stepped into eternity. And they both stepped into really different places. What we find here is they brought them to two different destinations. We understand that whenever we do die, according to what Jesus said, there will be a day where he will separate the goats and the sheep in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, and he describes the behaviors of the different two, the two groups. And in Matthew chapter 26 and 47, it says, and these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. The reality of eternity, the reality of hell is that people will go there. Some people will go there. And I pray that it is not anyone here hearing this message today. There's something we also need to understand about the reality of hell. Not only is it real people, a real place, but it's permanent. It is forever. We see in verse 24 through 26, it says, Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his tongue in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime that you received the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And beside all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. In his request, apparently he assumed that it was a possibility that he might be able to get some kind of relief. That if Abraham would send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool his tongue with a drop of water, apparently he thought that there was a possibility that there was some relief there for him. The truth about it is the torment that we face when we die and go to hell is that there is no relief. The, the flames and the fire that we experience today is temporal, and it doesn't last forever. We can burn ourselves and then withdraw ourselves from the flame, and it, though it's painful for a week or so, it still heals up and the pain's gone, but there's no relief. There is no relief for the, the torments that this rich man finds himself in. The torment of the flame is unrelenting. It's a flame that continues to burn and you continue to stay in torment. And there is no way out. It is eternal. It says, look, you can't come to us and we, we can't come to you. I'm sorry, rich man. But that's just the way it is. You had your opportunity, you had your chance. And now you've stepped into eternity where the deal is sealed in stone. There's no relief. 
for you. There's no way out. Now, what we're seeing here in Luke chapter 16, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. This is not the eternal lake of fire that we see in the book of Revelation chapter 20. As we see in Revelation chapter 20, remember, they are resurrected to stand before Jesus, the great white throne judgment, and then they are judged according to their works and then cast into the lake of fire. But the principles that we are discussing today don't change because of that. So when we look here and we see the permanency of this eternity, there is no relief. There is no relief from the external source. There's no relief from the internal source. There's no way that you can escape it once you have crossed from this life into the next. Hell is a place that is described very... um, I don't, know, I don't know the words, but it's just a, it's very, it's very well described in the, in the New Testament. There's just a few references that I can throw your way this morning, but hell is likened to a lake of fire into which the wicked will be cast in alive in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 20. In Revelation 20 and verse 1, it's likened to the bottomless pit. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, it's a place that's not prepared for man, but it was actually prepared for the devil and his angels because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance. God has extended his love and his grace to all mankind and those who would receive his gift of love and grace by, by trusting in his Savior could escape this and not go to the place that was never prepared for them, but prepared for devil, the devil and his angels. Hell is a place of of everlasting punishment as we read in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 32, hell is a place where no one can ever repent. And we'll illustrate that further here in just a few minutes. Hell is a place of torments. Hell is a place where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched, Mark chapter 9. Hell is a place of everlasting destruction from the presence of God. God is not there. There's not a moment that you have breathed a breath of air in your entire life where the presence of God was not with you. We have an omnipresent creator who is every place at all times. And in hell, evil is quarantined and God has removed himself from there. Hell is a waterless place with no exit, Luke chapter 16. And hell is a place of outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30. Hell is a horrible place. And it's permanent. Next, we, when we see this illustration or this narrative or this story, this historical narrative that Jesus is sharing And we see here that once the realization comes to the rich man, as he's asked for a drop of water to cool his tongue, and Abraham has clarified to him, look, there is no way that you're going to get any relief. We can't come to you. You can't come to us. There's nothing that can be done. It's set in stone. And once he comes to the realization that he is stuck and there's no hope for him, what does he go to? In verse 27, it says, Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Hell is such an awful place that those people who are there, they don't want company. 
It is so horrible. The torments that he is suffering. He was thinking about his five brothers. He's like, send Lazarus there. That, that, that he can tell them about this horrible place that they would not come. You know, one person said that if someone would spend five minutes in heaven, they'd become the greatest evangelist. Then he was countered. He said, well, I think if everyone could spend 30 seconds in hell, they would become the greatest evangelist. That's exactly what happened to this rich man. He had spent a very short time, uttered a few sentences, and very quickly came to the realization that he was doomed forever. And he was wanting someone to go back and tell his family about that horrible place so they would not go there. But then he goes further. Abraham says to him in verse 29, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. Something that we need to understand, and especially those of us who um, carry the responsibility of the Great Commission to the world, we need to understand that whenever he says they have Moses and the prophets, Abraham is telling them that the word of God is sufficient for them. If we would proclaim the word of God, the gospel message to the world, it is sufficient. We don't have to rely on anything else. We don't have to rely on our abilities. We don't have to rely on getting someone to come to a fancy building. We don't have to rely on the circumstances to be properly met. We don't have to illustrate to them some extraordinary, um, extraordinary um, you know, evidences about the universe. We just need to, to, to proclaim the gospel message to them, give them Moses and the prophets. It is sufficient. God has revealed himself clearly as far as who he is and how to be right with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And we are to proclaim that message. And Abraham was very clear. He says, look, they will have their chance. They have Moses and the prophets. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Let them hear them. Because if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe something as ridiculous as someone raising from the dead. The word of God is sufficient. We need to rest in the sufficiency of Scripture as followers of Jesus Christ and proclaim it fearlessly and faithfully to the world around us. People in hell are depending on it. Think about that for a moment. They don't want their families to join them because it's such a horrible, horrible place. And finally, people in hell, they know why they're there. To kind of look at, the, look at the narrative, some people will say, well, you know, he went to hell because he was rich. That's not true. I've known so many godly people who are very wealthy. It's not money. It wasn't the, and it wasn't the fact that um, Lazarus got a, you know, got, a, got a bad hand dealt to him in, in, in this life. That's not why he went to heaven. He makes a very clear distinction of what is required in order to get into heaven and to escape this awful place called hell. Because what does he say in verse 30? He says, and, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one will go to him from the dead, they will repent. 
He knows that he is in there, and he knows he's doomed for eternity because he did not do what? Repent. It's about repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The reason why he wanted Lazarus to go back was for what? That his five brothers may do what? Repent. To repent. That's the gospel message for us. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Confess your sins before a holy and righteous God and trust in the Savior, trust in the work, trust in the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary for your eternal salvation. We have Moses and the prophets. We have the word of God and repent of your sins. Our message should be central in the gospel to repent and trust in the Savior. Repent of sin. People don't go to hell because they've not heard the gospel message. People go to hell because of their sin. We are all sinners. Not sinners, but we are sinners in need of a Savior. When we look at the narrative that we have here, and as our musicians come forward and we prepare for a time of invitation, what we've discovered so far is that this not being a parable, this is about real people and a real event that took place. This is about a real place where people will go. The reality of hell is that real people will die, real people will go to this real place called hell. It's a place of anguish, torture, and distress. It's a place of pain and sorrow. And the Bible is unquestionably teaching us that there is a torment for the unbeliever in fire forever. But we must remember that the fire that we know is a material and temporal one. In hell there is no relief. But much worse than anything, it is separation from God for an eternity. And it's worse than anything that you could imagine. Worse than any kind of experience that you could actually have here on this earth. This morning, if you have never trusted in the Savior, if you have never repented of your sins, today is the day to make your heart right with the Lord and trust in Jesus Christ and confess your sins before Him. And for those of us who have truly trusted in Jesus, this needs to be on the forefront of our minds. The reality of hell, the people with whom we will come in contact on a day-to-day -day basis, Many will go to Jesus in that day crying out, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, done many wonderful works in your name? And he'll say, turn from me, I never knew you. If we would get a fresh vision as believers in Jesus Christ about the reality of hell and the fact that people will bob in the lake of fire forever and ever without relief and no escape, we should preach the gospel message and proclaim that warning and give them the cure that is found in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for this day and your wonderful sacrifice that you have made on the cross for us. Lord, may we realize the fate of those who are lost. May it be real to us in our minds and in our hearts. And Father, may we have a burden for the lost world around us that we may preach the gospel message that can offer hope to those who are carrying your wrath even now, that the wrath of God even abides on those even now.
God, just help us to be obedient to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.